My grandmother lived at the top of a hill overlooking the magical mountains and valleys of the Ozarks until the day we literally had to drag her off of it. Our family was spread out across Texas and California working full time, so no one was able to check in on her regularly. When she had home health workers, they helped her with medications and recovery after shoulder surgery. Older Americans want to be cared for in their homes for as long as they can, but that's not always possible, especially when families are spread out. Home health care workers make such care a reality for many families, including mine. But despite the popularity and advantages of home health care, access to it is being threatened by deep cuts proposed by Medicare. That was Terry Wilcox, a mother, caregiver, and co-founder and CEO of the nonprofit advocacy group Patients Rising, reading from her first opinion essay, Medicare's cuts to home health are a step in the wrong direction. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Angus McCauley, COO at STAT. Many drugs across the country are at risk of shortage. Eric Edwards, president and CEO of Flow, is here to discuss how they're revamping America's broken medical supply chain. Thanks, Angus. At Flow, we're on a mission to reimagine the essential medicine supply chain from the ingredients to finished products. We're making this possible through continuous flow chemistry and other advanced development and manufacturing processes. Through our smart CDMO services, we help pharmaceutical and biotech companies improve yields, reduce manufacturing costs, and sustain our environment by providing customized services for small molecule APIs and registered starting materials across all stages of development. All done right here in the United States. For more information, visit www.flow-usa.com. That's P-H-L-O-W-U-S-A.com. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarra, editor of First Opinion, Stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today, Terry. I have to say it's a bit daunting for me to be talking with somebody who's usually sitting in my seat on a podcast, asking all the questions. How long have you been doing the Patients Rising podcast? We started the Patients Rising podcast actually literally at the beginning of the pandemic. We launched it in February of 2020, and um, we're about to start our fourth year, which has been- cool. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I really like doing it. I've been able to connect with a lot of different people and learn a lot about, you know, so many things. I, I really enjoy it. It's one of the one of the fun parts of my job. I have many fun parts of my job, but this is definitely uh, this is definitely one of them. Can you share a bit more about your grandmother's story? Most definitely, my grandmother. You know, she was one a long line of what I call independent women that you know don't like to ask for help. <laughs> that I that I come from, um, in the in the South, and um, she, you know, she she was used to being really independent because she raised my aunt. My mom had a 
a middle sister who was mentally and physically disabled. So it all started, the initial, you know, home health care piece started with us having to remove Kathy from my grandmother's care because she couldn't care for Kathy anymore, which was very dramatic because she couldn't do all the lifting for Kathy when she had to get in, in and out of bed. She had shoulder surgery, as I, as I talk about in the, in the piece there at the beginning. We were able to bring in home health care workers for some things, but and my co- the co-host on my podcast, Bob, and I have had this conversation. Uh, oftentimes your family, your grandparents or whoever, they will take it upon themselves to fire <laughs> people that they don't huh. like or, or tell them they don't want them there that day or rearrange the whole schedule um, without you even having any idea that it's happening. So that piece, that home health care piece really saved us for many parts of her, you know, care recovery. But what we didn't have and what is so lacking, and many people as as boomers age are going to be finding out, are those day-to-day things. From that aspect, my grandmother was able to ultimately get into assisted living near my mom. I mean, it, it does have a, a somewhat happy ending in, in the sense that we were able to to protect her. Um, but that's not always the case in home health care. You know, as one of the major reasons, as, as you and I talked about uh, when we, you know, when I wrote this piece was the draw for me as somebody who's in that sandwich generation, who's taking care of young twins, as well as my mother-in-law lives with us, et cetera, you know, that how spread thin we are and how much that home health care worker population is really needed. It's only 3%. So they tell me in the pie charts of, of, of Medicare spending or, or in this country, but I imagine that it could be a lot more um, for a lot of families as we, as, as our population ages. Sure. Yeah. I read a report by the Pew Research Center that about a quarter of U.S. adults are in your shoes and about half of people in their 40s has been sort of caring for people on two ends of the life spectrum been stressful? Oh, absolutely. These are what we talk about when we talk about the real out-of-pocket costs. You know, you talk about the out-of-pocket costs maybe associated with your health plan or whatever, but the out-of-pocket costs that are really costing families are these types of expenses that just aren't covered or aren't aren't known and the stress that that in, entails and also trying to take care of your family members from across, you know, like I was trying to take care of my dad and my stepmom with Alzheimer's. They lived in Denver. I lived in Virginia. I had to, I literally had to move them out here mm. in the middle, literally at the beginning of the pandemic. I got a call from the assisted living facility that was like, if your um, stepmom and dad are not here by the 17th, St. Patrick's Day, which is when the country shut down officially at 6 p.m. I know this because I lived it. Um, they They can't get in. We won't let them in. Oh, wow. You know, and I didn't have any more room in my house, to be honest with you. My dad had a broken leg. My mother-in-law was already in the basement. My father-in-law had lived with us until he passed away in early 2019. I mean, we were in, and like I said, had young twins that all of a sudden were out of school, March 12th. I always, I know all the dates of exactly <laughs> when the, when, you know, when my life was upended. My husband and I always talk about it. It's like, life was really good. The kids were going to the bus stop. Like everything was on drag kind of at the beginning of 2020. Um but yeah, this is like, this is a, a, an, a, an enormous amount of stress just making sure everyone is taken care of and checking in and all of the the things that you have to keep up with, even if you have help, like we're blessed enough to have my, my stepmom is in assisted living. Um, but that's not always the case for many, many families. And we know that we talk to them. So you've, have you experienced home healthcare workers coming into your home? 
Oh, absolutely. My step, my, my father-in-law and my dad both have, because my dad was on dialysis and he also broke his leg. So we had home healthcare workers coming into, I had them coming into his home and I went out and visited and so, as well as my uncle to sort of work through that transition, but directly in my home with both, um, with my father-in-law. He had a wound and he, we had to have home healthcare workers. It was two or three times a week for rehabilitation and, and bandage, you know, just changing his bandage. And that was a huge, I mean, I cannot explain to you how much that helped and how much that saved us because he, he really wasn't that mobile. It was really hard to get him around and just having them be able to come there. And he also enjoyed it and he loved having the same person it was really great. I mean, he actually was very engaged with his home health care workers, um, which was nice to see. My grandmother was a little bit stubborn. It wasn't always the case with her. But um, my my father-in-law definitely was. It was a huge part of his you know, recovery at various times when he first moved in with us. We had a similar experience after my mother-in-law uh, came up to Boston for surgery. And she and her husband, my father-in-law, were living with us and she had a very big wound uh, that needed treatment. My wife is a nurse, so wasn't squeamish about it, but it was it was great to get sort of professional wound care help. Um, somebody coming to the house to do that it was very reassuring and very helpful and we all learned things from it. Yeah, they're very, you know, they're very caring and helpful and, and they, and when necessary to just alert the whole family, they bring everyone into, you know, what to look out for and what to, you know, if, if something starts to bleed or whatever, what, what you should do or what you should, who you should call or how you should react to it. Because there, there are a lot of things, especially in his case, that, that, that we really needed to be aware of. And they were so helpful. How did you find a home care provider in the first place? Yellow pages? Or, you know, how does somebody do that these days? Well, some of it is. Some of it is. Um, with, with the case of um, my mother-in-law, with with the case with my father-in-law and my dad, it was who's in their network of their Medicare plan. And we just sort of looked and started there because some of their home health, because of their situation, was covered. With my grandmother, it was about the Yellow Pages because she was in the middle of nowhere. Oh. So it was about what can you even get out there and who, you know, wasn't it was we didn't even start with network. We started with who will do this. She literally, when I say she lived at the top of a hill in the middle of nowhere, I'm not kidding. It was beautiful, but that's where she lived. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of times it starts with like, who's in your network? You know, what sor sort of resources are provided? I always encourage, we always encourage everyone to really understand their health insurance from everything, obviously from what what's on their formulary to what's covered from a home health perspective. There's a lot of in and out rules that are complicated uh, as mm. you probably know, in in Medicare, um, that that people should really be aware of, and uh, this is this is one of this is one of them. I mean, what is your home health coverage, and and when can it kick in, and what types of things will it cover? And obviously, wound care and things like this is something that is covered. Now, oftentimes, family families like ours, like if my husband and I want to go on vacation, or do some, and just want somebody to look in on my mother in law. That's a different kind of home health care, and that generally comes right out of your pocket. That's not something. And that is a Yellow Pages, who's who's best. I mean, some people are lucky enough to find somebody on care.com who just house sits, which is great. But oftentimes, if there's a little more complication to it, medications and other things, you want somebody a little more trained. I um, mean, in that case, you do 
go to, you know, what's in your region and, and you know, what's available. And it, they're busy. They're very, it's a very busy industry. It's a shrinking pool of workers too, from what I understand. Absolutely. It's definitely a shrinking pool of workers. It's, um, we need more workers in the space, just like we need more doctors. I mean, we're aging rapidly and, uh, and you know, we're, there's going to be a lot more seniors, obviously, as 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 the decades go on. What kind of providers did you know? Did you encounter doctors, nurses, nurse practitioner? You know, uh, physical therapists. What's the kind of range of people that provide this kind of care? It is doctors. It it's some doctors, especially if you're looking at um, concierge doctors and folks like that. You can oftentimes get directly doctors to come to your house. And that, that is a growing movement in direct primary care, even in the senior space, mm-hmm. for doctors to actually do health call, health calls. You'll pay a certain amount of money every month and you'll get the doctor to come to your house or, or do whatever. What we encountered mostly with the stuff that we got through Medicare was physical therapists, nurses, you know, that were, that were certified in, you know, wound care and the types of things that we were doing. My stepfather and my dad had both, which were, you know, physical therapists. Obviously you're talking about, you know, healing from a broken leg in my dad's case. That was often, you know, the types of, of people that you would, you would find, but doctors and others, there is a growing movement to, I always say to kind of go back to the little house on the prairie days when, you know, talk bakeries to come to the house or whatever. Um, it's, it's not unheard of actually. So for your grandmother, it must've been that kind of care would have been really great because I'm assuming, or I'm just guessing that she wasn't necessarily near a hospital and able to make the trip back and forth. So that would have been really important. Really important. When you look at someone like my grandmother, um, she lived 20 miles from the nearest town and it was a two lane road that was somewhat rather dark wasn't an easy drive. I wasn't dirt road or anything, but it certainly wasn't, you know, a hop, skip and a jump down the freeway. It was a, it was a solid 20 miles mm-hmm. to get there. Um, and even grocery store. I mean, I always say she lived even 20 miles from the nearest Walmart, <laughs> you know, and Arkansas is the land of Walmart. So it sure is. <laughs> um, that's, you know, that's one of the, she, she, she lived far away from a lot of those things. And there are, you know, as much as those of us who live, you know, near city centers and things like that, to, for us to even imagine that that's, you know, the kind of situation that, that millions of Americans are, you know, are facing. Um, and being able to have that structure, she had a doctor that came to her house. His name was Dr. Vowell. Um, the same situation for situations that she would have with Kathy or, or whatever else. Sometimes that's what is needed. Mm. That's the kind of care that's needed in those reasons. It's not always paid for. In the way that, you know, in codes and all of the ways that we pay for healthcare in this country, but but it is necessary. The kind of care that you're talking about sounds like a godsend, especially for people with no background in medical care or no experience in it. And it also sounds like some of what happens is teaching the caregiver, maybe people who have absolutely no medical literacy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is... There's a growing movement, especially in this country right now, and we just did a whole survey on caregivers, spousal caregivers for Alzheimer's patients here at Patients Rising, which is a, is a, is a topic that we've been kind of diving into because there is a huge, um, there are a huge amount of families that are, I don't want to use the term stuck, but they are grounded, <laughs> so to speak, with their, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia 
ridden parents or loved ones at home. And, and it does get to a point as somebody who's been there where you really have got to be there all the time. I mean, my stepmom went from working where she had to leave a job where she worked for 43 years because she could no longer do it, right? She really was making a lot of mistakes. And then she went to not being able to drive, right? So she, but she was still driving. When I got, finally got my dad and my stepmom out of their house in Denver, their health, their car insurance bill was a thousand dollars a month. That's how many accidents they'd had. Wow. Of various forms, thousand dollars a month. I mean, and that happens to families every day where the struggle is so real between them wanting to, your, your family members that are older and aging, wanting to maintain their independence and you needing to help them be safe. Mm. Like that's your goal. You're not trying to take anybody's independence away, but you want them to be safe. Just right. like you want your children to be safe. You know, it's like the same kind of tug, tug of war that happens there. Um, anyway, I may have gotten off on a tangent, Patrick. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's, that's what conversations <laughs> are all about. As I understand it, Medicare covered home health care during the pandemic. Did it do that before the pandemic as well? Um, it did. Yeah, it definitely did. Because like I said, my grandmother was alive before it has been gone um, since before the pandemic. So so they did um, cover some home health care for some of these very specific needs for sure. What's occurred is, is now they want to do... Um, they want to rescind the increase in the home health care payments that they made during the pandemic, right? They increased um, payments to home health care workers. And not only do they want to rescind it, they want to do clawbacks on what they, it, it's totally crazy. They want to do clawbacks on the overpayments that they made during the pandemic, which I think is actually kind of cruel, to be honest with you. So that's a great and graphic term, clawback. I, I, I love it. What does it <laughs> what does it mean? It means, okay, we made these extra payments during the pandemic, but now that you're an industry that's getting back on your feet and we're going to go back to the way things were. So here during the middle of an, of an inflationary economy, we're going to cut you back six, seven point, you know, 5% or 6% or whatever the exact number is. And we're also going to take, we're going to bring, bring, take back some of those overpayments that we made with that increased spending during the pandemic. Um, it's a term I've gotten from, you know, the clawback term is something that I've gotten obviously from the pharmacy space because, you know, PBMs do that to, to uh, independent pharmacists and others all the time. It's one of those, it's one of those terms that is very graphic and, and it's, it's disruptive, harmful. And I don't know why you would make a decision to increase something and then take it away. It seems like in other parts of the pandemic that that hasn't been done. I mean, they helped even organizations like Patients Rising. I mean, we were able to keep employees on during the shutdown for various things. Nobody's asking us to pay back those those particular loans. I, you know, I don't understand why this is this is where they're going to draw their line in the sand. You know, for this kind of you know this kind of disruption and payback. So, I mean, it seems to me it would be something like. Um, I had to have physical therapy for an ankle I broke over the summer. So it would be like me getting that physical therapy, having my ankle get better, and a year later going to the physical therapist and say, hey, 
could I have my money? You know, you need to pay me back the money that I already paid you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Here. Here. During this time, we gave you a little extra, but now that things are back to normal, we're going to lower the amount that we're paying you and we're going to take back that little extra over time in the ways that, you know, I mean, I assume it, this is all CMS driven, right? So this is all Medicare specific. Um, just to be clear with the audience, it's very Medicare specific. So in the payments that they're sending in the future, they're going to make little cuts to the, that amount based on this history, right? And that's going to, for sure, it would hurt the home health care companies that have sprung up to meet the demand for this. But won't it also hurt their workers, most of whom are low-wage workers in reality? Oh, yeah. That's who it's going to hurt the most. I mean, these are the people that are the, – the, the workers are the people who make the care that my father-in-law received, that my father received, that my grandmother received, all possible. Those workers that get in their car and they drive there, they use their gas at a time when, you know, gas prices are higher and we're in a – we're in an economy, and, and this isn't a commentary on that as much as it is just this is the reality. Things are a little more expensive right now, right? And then you want to take it and you want to take up already low-wage worker and cut that back more. And what? how are those companies then supposed to retain workers? You know, that's the big issue. I mean, if they can find a better work somewhere else where they just go to work from 9 to 5 or 8 to 4 or whatever the, the schedule is and not have to drive their own car around. They're going to do that. Without Medicare coverage, are home health services affordable for the average family? I can't answer that for every single family. What I do know is this. It's not It's not outrageous It's I mean, from where we sat when we had to get it on our own. But for many families, it is. I mean, for many families, it is unattainable. It's unaffordable. That's why there are spouses and children and sisters and brothers and others all taking up that slack. And that's why there is there are even movements, and I'm not as versed in this, for you to be able to get reimbursement as a family member providing that home health care in some way. Um, I'm not, like I said, I'm not as well versed in the, the numbers of that or how that mechanism works. But there are millions, millions of Americans providing home health care, just not working, not able to work not able. You know, we talked to a woman the other day who, you know, she had been taking care of her mother for so long, she hadn't had a mammogram in 10 years. You know, you just sort of go outside of yourself and you're doing, you're doing that job. You know, the home healthcare industry is important. And if it was, like I said, a bigger piece of that pie that's being paid, more Americans would be able to, to, to take advantage of that within their Medicare plans or, or whatever. Um, and there's an, and commercial plans do have various forms of home health care. They're all over the place and different, so I won't dive into exactly what those look like, but a lot of them do have it as well. Um, but yeah, for sure, the number one home health care worker in this country is family, is your family, who aren't able to work in some, you know, form or fashion. They aren't able to take vacations. They aren't, you know, that cost can never really be quantified in a meaningful way. Right. Um, I don't think. Would these proposed cuts, if they go through, would those threaten the financial stability of some of the companies that are providing home health care workers and home health care equipment? I definitely think, yes, many are came on to met the, de met the demand, right? They met the demand of the moment. 
and and the demand is still there. Maybe it's backed off a little bit because we're not as locked in our homes as we were perhaps, you know, a year and a half ago or, or a year ago or whatever. But the demand is still there as the population ages. So I, I don't think that um, I, I do think that it threatens the stability of some of those, especially the newer companies, I'd say, you know, because as an as a company, you might come in and get one of those PPP loans or, or whatever. I think that was the paycheck protection one. But there was another one you could get to like increase staffing and increase technology and other things to grow your business. So say you did that, say you got that and you're having that loan and that's one you got to pay back, but you've expanded all that. And then these cuts happen, right? How does, how, how do you continue to grow that? Can you sustain that? Well, I hope that, that many of those organizations can, but there, there is a threat there when you take this significant of a cut and then also add the clawback piece. It's the clawback piece with it that I think is so terrible. I mean, the, the cut is bad enough, but when you add like, oh, but all that extra we gave you during this time, we're going to, you know, we're going to sneak that back. And all that extra went into keeping people out of nursing homes, which were one of the biggest places to die of COVID, um, out of rehab hospitals, out of already overburdened hospitals. So, you know, it seems like that increase was well-deserved and not something that uh, was, you know, a, a kind of a, a nice to have. No, definitely. And the one thing that is absolutely not sustain, you know, that is, is almost impossible. It is the haves and haves nots when you talk about assisted living. And we're really fortunate in the sense that my stepmom, she worked for the same company for 43 years and they had this really, I learned a lot when my dad passed away and I had to go through everything, kind of figure it out. But in the like, late nineties, they, they came to her and said, do you want this life insurance policy you've been paying on for 20 something years? We're going to switch that to, to, you know, to, um, end of life care or not end of life, but assisted living. You can Mm. have an assisted living policy. She has an assisted living policy that you cannot get Mm. right now. The most, the, the best assisted living policy you can get in the United States of America that I know about, and somebody may correct me on this, but I've done a lot of research is $50,000 a year. Well, on average, at least here in Northern Virginia, it's about $9,600 a month. Mm. Her insurance policy does cover all of that. We are so blessed for that. All of it is covered. That's not the case. And, And with dementia, it is really hard with dementia and Alzheimer's, it's really hard to keep them safe. As I mentioned about the, the, you know, the driving and the, the car insurance, et cetera. So I, I definitely think that, um, keeping them out and, and then you look at some of the more, you know, the more subsidized nursing home type facilities, you know, which is where a lot of COVID happened. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we did keep them out of there and those are very expensive. Those are way more expensive than the home health care line, really, overall. And when you think about what the home health care can help with for, for keeping our seniors safe and families able to work and, you know, go out and take care of their own health and other, other things, um, it's pretty significant. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of expanding home health care and making it more of a priority, not less of one. Are you aware of a timeline for these proposed cuts by Medicare or proposed changes by Medicare? They are supposed to be coming out with a rule around this on what their decision is going to be. I've heard 
uh, talk of around Halloween, I think. Uh, you know, so it should be coming up any time now. Yeah, we expect the final home health rule to come out from CMS in the next couple of weeks. The, the bill continues to gain momentum in the House and the Senate. It's got like 51 co-sponsors at this point. So so let's back up there for a second. Um, the bill that you're just describing, is that the Preserving Access to Home Health Care Act of 2022? Yes, that would be, it wouldn't, you know, in a perfect world, it would be rescinding all of this nonsense, keeping the pay rate as it is. But it's not that. It, it, it's, it's giving us a little more time to get on our feet until 2026. So it is a it is a Congress kick the can bill, I call it. But it, mm. at least it does buy some breathing room. It's not going to happen, you know, on January one. They they love these kind of bills. <laughs> yeah, I, they, these sort of bills that are sort of like, yeah, we're just going to wait. <laughs> we're going to like give more time. Well, there's another kind of bill, and that's the kind that are introduced that really have little chance of ever passing, but look really good to the people who propose them look good to the voters who might be might be thinking about this. Do you think that's one of these kinds of bills or do you think it actually has legs? Um, I think in this particular instance, from the, especially when you're talking about the senior, I, don't get me wrong, the timing is very suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? The timing is, oh yeah, we'll come out with the rule right before, you know, so we can all look like saviors as we right. go to the voting booth here in a couple of weeks. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, this isn't my first rodeo, <laughs> so like I, I do, I do see that. But I also see as we look at the um, what look towards the omnibus bill and other things at the end of the year. This is something that I think um, should pass. At, at, at the very least, we should we should kick the can for three years. Hmm. We shouldn't do this immediately. Um, it, it gives people more time to figure out what to do. I think there's a lot. There's a lot in the healthcare system, and you know this, obviously, it's that, that that's, it is, it's so complicated. And so, you know, a lot of it's so political and so driven by all these different, you know, forces. But this home healthcare piece is something that is affecting millions of families. And it is, it, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that we need to address head on as a, as an, as a nation, <laughs> you know, to sort of look at what that means and how we're going, you know, how we're going to move forward um, in that space as it affects so many, many families. And I don't think it's something that we can just sort of keep kicking the can around. But I also think that we shouldn't be in this type of environment, economic environment, cutting anyone's pay 7.69%. Right. I just, you know, I think that they'll... I think that that is the big negative here, and that is one reason why I think it will have legs, because I think if Congress, you know, it's, it is but very bipartisan, and Congress likes to be the hero, and so therefore they can be the hero here um, on this particular issue. Thank you for sharing your stories and perspectives um, with us, and, and good luck with Patients Rising in your podcast, Terry. Oh, thank you very much, Pat. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm grateful to you for uh, printing this piece on First Opinion and uh, for having me on today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Alyssa Ambrose is the senior producer, and Rick Burke is the executive producer. I love to hear from listeners, 
Please let me know which first opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcast. That's it for now. Be well as we continue to navigate the realities of COVID and the whitewater ahead. Thank you.